Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, and joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. I am preparing for vacation tomorrow morning, family vacation for the next five or six days. Sounds like you just got back. So we're going to squeeze this one in right, you know, as we kind of intersect here, and I don't think we'll do another one probably. About a week from now, I guess, would be the next one on, on tap. But we got a good guest. I'm pretty psyched. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it is July now. Training camps are going to be opening soon, and we'll have uh, more and more football talk as the season gets closer. But today we are joined by a great guest. As you mentioned, we've got Adam Harstead, a staff writer from Football Guys. Adam, how's it going? Fantastic, guys. How about yourself? Doing well. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Sure. Uh, we are going to be talking a lot about injured players today, and we actually did this uh, just about a month ago with with one of your co-workers, Dr. Gene Bramel. He gave us the latest news on some of the key injured players uh, over this past offseason, but you've got kind of a different spin. So Not a doctor, did not stay in a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> get, that, uh, get that clear up front. We've had a lot of conversations on, on Twitter, Adam, and, and it seems like every time a prominent player gets injured, you have a similar response to that. So uh, if you if you would, just kind of start us off with your general thoughts about uh, injured players and, and how you react to that. Uh, well, the running joke is uh, whenever there's uh, a player who suffers a serious injury, usually somebody will message me on Twitter and say, hey, do you have an offer out for this guy? Uh, <laughs> and my answer is one of two things. Uh, one of them, it, I either say, yes, absolutely, or I say, wait, he just suffered a serious injury. Hang on, i got to go get an offer out. Um, and and the thinking isn't that, you know, like I don't I don't love injured players more than healthy players. All else being equal, obviously, I'd rather a player be healthy. But the problem is that that all else is never equal. And after a player gets injured, his value suffers a shock. And then the question is, um, is this this value shock that he's suffering is it uh, appropriate and warranted, um, or is it inappropriate? Is it is it too much of a value drop? And to be Adam. clear. Before yeah. we get any further, I guess my question is, is this only from a dynasty perspective or in your redraft world too? Are you drafting guys coming off injuries more so or, hey, this guy might be out four to six weeks, you put in an offer? I mean, obviously there's a lot less time to deal with it in the redraft world or is this just a dynasty thought? Uh, what's redraft? <laughs> I, like, I like your style. You're you're welcome back anytime, brother. <laughs> redraft. That's that's the um that's the the one with the commercials, the one day fantasy leagues, right? Or is that <laughs> redraft to me is getting together with my buddies for a quote redraft draft that takes about Oh, a redraft is the one where you get hammered and yell picks at the guy with the exactly. with the magnets. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I like I like that one. <laughs> so basically anytime a player gets injured, you're you're probably targeting that player. Are you are you willing to do that even if this is a player you may not have liked previously? Uh, me personally, not really, and that's um, to me that's just a, a style thing. Um, I I don't buy low and sell high. I write about, you know, here's why I don't buy low and sell high. I know some people have a lot of success with that. For me, the problem is if you're trying to buy low and sell high, you have to time the market right. You know, if you bought a house in 2005, 
you know, its value might have gone up a ton by 2008, but that doesn't matter if you sold it in 2010. You know, you didn't realize those gains. Those were just paper gains. And so in practice, your ability to buy low and sell high is only going to be as good as your ability to judge the right time to sell. So you don't, you know, if you bought Cordell Patterson um, before his rookie year, um, and you held him through his rookie year, and you sold him at the end, you made a killing. If you held him another year after that, you know, you lost your shirt. So I don't really try to buy low and sell high. I try to be more of a, a Warren Buffett-style investor where I'm just looking at the underlying fundamentals, and I'm trying to buy players that I like at prices um, that are reasonable for that player. But I will say, I will add the caveat that if you are going to buy low and sell high, I think injured players are probably the easiest ones to time the market on because we've got a whole lot of evidence going back years um, that if a player sees his value drop a lot immediately after an injury, and some players don't, some players still retain their value, but if they see a big shock to their value after an injury, um, it's probably going to rebound even no matter what that player does. If, if that player is just on the sidelines coalescing, um, convalescing, then he's still going to see his value rebound by the time he's back on the field. So that is an easy way to turn a profit if you are that type of dynasty owner. Adam, I very much agree with you, and I often try to target those guys or suspended players also. I mean, depending how bad it is. Um, you know, if they're suspended for four games for marijuana or whatever. But my one thing that I sometimes run into is you talk to the owner that says, yeah, but I waited all last year with Kevin White on my roster. I can't give him up now. You know, I, I suffered through the bad times with him. And well, that's why I think yeah. you've got to as soon as the injury yeah, happens. Right, that yeah, okay. You've got to come in and be like, "Hey, I will suffer through the bad times for you." You right. know, let me take him off your hands right now, so you don't have to sit and hold him for a year and just watch him do nothing, and you have this hole in your roster. Let me let me fill that hole in your roster for you. I'll suffer the short term pain. And then um, as a result of you taking that risk, you get to reap the long-term benefit as well. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. So, Adam, you mentioned some players uh, don't have that severe shock to their dynasty value, while, while others obviously do. Have you noticed any trends as far as which players see these, these drastic drops in value versus the ones that don't? You know, is it as simple as the stars don't lose as much value and, you know, the low-end starters or, or depth guys... See a huge drop. It also uh, seems like the rookies don't lose much. You know, I just mentioned yeah. Kevin White. There's not a whole lot of trend to it because I mean, you could say that the stars don't lose as much value, and that's true to some extent. You look at Julio Jones in uh, 2013 when he broke his foot again; he did not see a, a huge value drop. Um, but you see, Rob Gronkowski was every bit as much of a star and every bit as young, um, and he suffered a few um, pretty dramatic value shocks through the years. So I don't know that it's necessarily that much of a pattern. I do know that, um, at, at least from the public standpoint, injuries don't count if they hadn't heard of you before that. Like Rob Gronkowski, after he suffered, he, he, he'd earned this injury-prone label, um, and people were debating, you know, do I want Rob Gronkowski or do I want Julius Thomas, who's coming off this phenomenal season with Peyton Manning, and he's going to put a zillion touchdowns. And they're like, well, okay, you know, Rob Gronkowski's probably a more talented player, but he's injury-prone, so I want the safe guy in, in Julius Thomas who's not injury-prone. But the irony of that is Julius Thomas took so long to break out because he essentially missed his entire first two seasons in the NFL with a foot injury that just lingered and lingered, and he put off surgery, and then he got surgery. 
Um, and so he actually missed more games to injury than Rob Gronkowski, but it didn't matter to the average player because at that time they didn't know who he was, so those injuries didn't count. So Why perversely, Why Gronk though? What about you know? I mean, he's a first-round pick in the NFL draft if it isn't for the back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he entered the league when people first heard about him. He's hurt. You know, like he he, he was hurt in their first impression. Um, don't you think that kind of always will linger in the back of people's mind? Like, if he goes down in week one, everyone's be like, oh, no, this guy's injury-prone. Or if Jay Ajayi slips on a banana peel and his knee tweaks, oh, my God, his knee's blown out. He's done forever. Yeah, and it's it's really just the more injuries he had since people became aware that you existed. So if you enter the NFL with the injury-prone label, that's probably going to linger. If you enter it kind of under the radar and you have a later breakout, like I, like I said with Julius Thomas, um, then it's like those injuries never happened. You know, I I didn't know about them. And a lot of times, too, entering the NFL with the injury-prone label can be inconsistent. Adrian Peterson was considered injury-prone when he came in, but there are a lot of other players who had college injuries that people just don't know about. You know, if if he wasn't a big star at a major Division One program, you know, realistically, how many people know that much about his injury history? And so a lot of times there'll be injuries there that just aren't, being accounted for in this mythical injury-prone tabulation. So this seems like a, a fairly simple and straightforward concept. A star player gets hurt, go out and buy them low. Why aren't we doing this more often, or, or why aren't more people willing to do this? Like everything with Dynasty, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, global trends, um, but everything's going to be dependent on local markets. I can say all I want that, you know, dynasty owners overrate injuries but if I play in a league where they don't you know that doesn't help me any you know some leagues they won't some some leagues they'll overrate it even more um, and then the bigger problem really um, gets to just fundamental human psychology so I think we can all agree that the upcoming season the 2016 year is more valuable than the 2017 season you know if I gave you a choice you can have a guy who scores 100 points this year or 100 points you know this next year. We'd probably rather have the 100 points today, and I think that's reasonable and rational. You know, who knows if our Dynasty League will still be around in 2017. It's it's much more likely to still be around in 2016. The only asterisk, though, is if my team's awful and I know that this isn't my year no matter what. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah your, your point's 100% right. All else being equal, the, the sooner production is going to happen, the more valuable it's going to be. And so we, we can account for that by creating discounts, and, and I can say... You know, I'm going to value each year as 10% less valuable than the year before. So um, 2017 will be 90% as valuable as 2016. 2018 will be 81% as valuable as 2016, and so on and so forth. And that's called an exponential discount. And that's um, a, a very normal, rational discounting model. Uh, but intuitively, as humans, just our psychology, we use something that's called a hyperbolic discount. Um, and how hyperbolic discounts work um, is there's a very, very steep initial discount and then a much shallower later discount. And so somebody with a hyperbolic discount is going to discount 2017 much more harshly with respect to 2016. Um, and then on the back end, they won't discount, say, 2020 as much relative to 2019. Um, and this is, um, there's a whole bunch of scientific studies that back this up. It's not just humans. It it manifests in chimpanzees. It manifests in pigeons and rats and, um, you know, most pigeons life on rats. Earth. 
Yeah, absolutely. We are as <laughs> irrational as pigeons, if that uh, is any comfort to you. Where did you learn all this? Were you an economics major, or I don't even know what field this is exactly, but it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Uh, well, yes, uh, it, it certainly sounds like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just I I'm just a very curious person, and I oh. I dabble. I consider myself a I always say I'm an, an 80th percenter because to to gain true expertise in something, you know, to become to to reach like the 99th percentile in something, that's really really hard. That takes a lot of effort. But you can get to like the 80th percentile in something with you know just like a couple weekends to devote to it. Like it's really not that hard, you know, to become an ab above average guitarist. You know, you're probably going to have to spend like six months at it to become like, you know, Youngway Melmstein or or um, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You're going to have to devote like 60 years to it. So, to me, the cost benefit, it makes sense to learn a little bit about a lot of things. Um, so that's just kind of how I operate, and it helps that I am extremely ADD. So I, my attention just naturally jumps from topic to topic. Well, you're clearly no dummy either, although. Ingve and Jimmy Page and those guys make a pretty good buck doing what they did. Yeah, they certainly do. But <laughs> so last year, Adam, we saw uh, quite a few key players um, suffer season-ending injuries. I just wondered if uh, if you had any luck on on buying low on those guys. So you know, we saw Jordy Nelson even before the season started. We saw Kelvin Benjamin miss the entire season. Uh, Jamal Charles went down somewhat early in the year, and, and a guy I know you really like is Deion Lewis. He also had had a season-ending injury. So were you able to buy low on any of those guys? Uh, unfortunately, on Deion Lewis, I was able to get him everywhere, but it was always before the injury. So that's... Um, I always hate when my players get injured because then I can't <laughs> buy them from myself. That's that's the great loss. Also, then I don't have them. That's also bad, but mostly Does just... Does anybody like, ever offer to take yours off your hand or they even they don't even bother at this point. Oh, they'll try. Um I try to I try not to be too predictable and so people in my leagues um especially if they don't know that I'm a fantasy analyst which, you know, I I don't make any secret of, but I'm not going to go out of my way to point them to everything I write. It gets hard um, to hide after a while. Yeah, yeah. Um so I don't make any secret of it, but at the same time I'm not broadcasting it. So yeah, I'll get some people who try to buy low. And honestly, um trying to that's my trick, man. Don't even bother. Don't well, try taking injured my injured players, guy. Injured players should be discounted. You know, if I assume that... Um, all right, so I've got an aging model um, that, that predicts, you know, there's a whole range of outcomes, but how much longer does a player have left? Um, let's say that I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins has... Here, let me pull this up real quick. Hopkins is 24, so... On average, let's say like he's going to have... 80% database you have of every player in the league that you just kind of fiddle around with and... I've got I've got various spreadsheets spread out all over, and it's just you You're know my, my 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 uh, data system is as ADD as my brain, so it's just kind of <laughs> picking stuff from wherever. I love but it. all right, so let's say I think Hopkins is going to play for 6.26 more years, which that's an actual value for my give or take, here. give or take. Okay. Um, and that's you know there's a range of outcomes. He might play for two, he might play for 12, but if you average all the possibilities together. Let's say it's going to be 6.26, you know. And so if he tears his ACL today, you know, he's just, you know, out and he tears his ACL, he's going to be gone for the whole year. Um, all of a sudden that 6.26 drops to 5.26, and so he should lose 16% of his value. 
You know, and then I say, too, that the current season is more valuable than future seasons, so if I apply some sort of time discount, you know, maybe it's a 22-25% value drop. It's not insignificant losing an entire season in the prime of your career. While um, you have your model out, what about Le'Veon Bell? I, I don't mean to jump in front of you, but, I mean, like he's got hurt so much so recently, and he's still young. I mean, does his life expectancy drop a lot worse than two years ago? Hang on a second. Yeah. How uh, how old is Le'Veon Bell going to be at the start of this season? I think he's 24, but 24. Um, I, I know he came to the league young. 24. So let me pull that up for the running back table. Um, so Le'Veon Bell at age 24 is expected to have 4.49 seasons left. Um, and so if he... Um, so he's injured in the last play of the fourth quarter four and a half years, in week seven, four years from now. It's not quite four and a half. Well, it, it, I mean, it doesn't really work like that because oh, it's, know, it's not saying that, yeah, <laughs> he might last for, you know, he might be the next Walter Payton. He might play until he's 34. He might be um, Clinton Portis, I think, was done at 28. You know, there's a range of possibilities. Um, but overall, that entire range, maybe the average expected outcome averages out to 4.49. And so if he got injured in preseason and was going to miss this entire season, then that's um, like a 23% drop to his value. Uh, if, you're, if you're discounting future seasons more than the current season, maybe that's you know, 25, 30, 33%. And, and that, to me, is a fair discount for a young, talented player who's already established um, who who misses an entire season? They should lose about twenty five to thirty three percent of their value. Um, and so, but if, I guess my question was, did he already? You know, I mean, two years ago, no one worried about Le'Veon Bell's health. Now he's had two bad back to back injuries. Did his life expectancy drop fifteen percent the first one, then another fifteen percent for you? You know, something is that how it works for you? Uh, well, my models are are uh, injury history agnostic. They're just saying a general case. Running backs as talented as Le'Veon Bell on average would give you about 4.49 more years, and then you can mentally adjust from there uh, based on additional information. You know, maybe I think that Le'Veon Bell is uh, the best running back since you know Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson. I think he's the greatest running back of this generation, which I do, by the way. I think he's um, head and shoulders above every other running back in the league right now. And so I might adjust upwards based on that because really talented running backs are going to have, you know, they're going to be more likely to defy the odds. Um, and then he's got this injury history, and so maybe I adjust downward from there. And so really it's not about, I mean, uh, the appeal of dynasty is not that, it's, it's that it's not a science. You know, in redraft sure. you, can, you can create um, rankings and projections that are much more scientifically based. Um, and there's always going to be some art to redraft, too. But in Dynasty, the timeline is so long that you're multiplying your assumptions, and you can't really have a formula that's going to that's gonna do player value. And so usually I'm just looking at formulas that are going to give me a baseline. They're going to give me a skeleton that I can then start from. It's, it's a jumping-off point, and from there I can decide um, how I want to treat somebody. But anyway, with, with major season-ending injuries to young established players, I think it's totally appropriate to discount them by 25 to 33% from where they were before. And so if, say, I have DeAndre Hopkins, and he... Including a Kevin White or a Perryman, I mean, who hasn't even played a snap. Yes, I, I think a... Um, maybe not, because they're, they're a little bit younger, maybe it's only 20%. Sure. Okay. But... Um, 
there's there's additional risk with someone with a paramin and a white because it's possible they're just not that good. I mean, you look at um, uh, Charles Rogers was like the greatest wide receiver prospect of the last 15 years, right. and he was terrible in the NFL. And it's possible that Kevin White, phenomenal prospect, um, it's it's still possible at this point that he's just not that good. Where you know but, Jordy Nelson's good. Right, Jordy Nelson. There's no risk that he's he can't hack it in the NFL. We know he can. But so you don't I, worry that he's not going to be the same when he comes back. You know, yeah, and that's like, a risk. Right, right, okay. Although with ACLs, it's not so much anymore. Right. You know, maybe 15 years ago, ACLs would have been a lot scarier. But at this point, it's not nothing, but it's not much. Um, so if if Hopkins tears his ACL, and so I'm discounting him, I'm saying he's now worth 25% less. And one of my league mates comes up to me and says, I'll give you 10% less than he would have cost, you know, a month ago. Then, yeah, I'll sell him for that. But... Typically, people don't do that because, again, we're hyperbolic discounters. We're we're more likely to over-discount in the face of short-term pain than we are to under-discount. Adam, I don't mean this at all disrespectfully. I mean it as a huge compliment, but you're a massive geek with this, and I love it. I am. Ryan, do you know who else are geeks? Who's that? The people at Loot Crate. Yep. The people at Loot Crate now are behind us, and I've been doing some research on what they're doing. And it's totally geared towards geeks. I mean, Star Wars geeks, gamer geeks, Marvel Comics, Harry Potter, all these guys. And what you do is, for less than 20 bucks a month, you sign up and you use our code, of course. You go to lootcrate.com backslash Dynasty Blueprint, and you put in our code, which is Dynasty Blueprint, and you get a, a, big, a big number off. And it's already less than 20 bucks a month, and by using our information, you get a huge percentage off. And you get between six and eight, you know, items per month, and there's a couple different things you can do to sign up. So something everyone should look into. It's a pretty cool deal. Let's get back to the dynasty talk and back to the injury talk just a little bit. This term injury prone, we throw this around a lot. Uh, we've already mentioned it here tonight, and I know this this is a term you you know that just makes your skin crawl. Uh, in fact, you you have called the use of this this term injury prone lazy and dumb. So uh, I'm just going to let you kind of take off on the term injury prone uh, and just your thoughts on that. I think, um, and I think in much disagreement, typically the problem, or oftentimes the problem arises from two different parties that are just defining the term differently. Um, and I think a lot of the complaints about injury prone are, are, are that. How are we defining injury prone? What does injury prone mean? Does injury prone mean a guy who's gotten injured a lot in the past? Because if so, you know, we can't really argue with it. Rob Gronkowski's gotten injured a lot in the past. That's, you know, that's historical record at this point. Um, but I think when people use the term injury prone, they're suggesting there's some sort of predictive value, that, that this means a guy's at a heightened risk of getting injured in the future. Um, and, and I think that's worthy analysis to, to try and find players who are at heightened risk, because I think some are. But the problem is that usually the injury-prone analysis that I see is look at a player, count the number of past injuries, that's their injury-prone score. And so let's look at Rob Gronkowski again. You know, Rob Gronkowski comes into the league with chronic back problems. Does that make him injury-prone? Yeah, that's something that it's probably going to recur. It might come up in the future. It might be absolutely nothing. It might be something. That's something to be aware of and keep an eye on. Um, he broke his arm in 2012. Is that injury prone? Well, you know, like broken bones, not really. Do we think he has a propensity to break bones? 
I don't really think so. Broken bones are kind of random fluke events. Um, he rushed back before it's healed, and he broke it again. Is that injury prone? No, because we know if you come back too early from a break before that bone's fully healed, you're at a, you're at a much heightened risk of breaking it again. But once that bone's fully healed, that that heightened risk goes away. So I'm not holding the rebreak against him. And then he had, and and this is where people started to get really worried. He had to go in for I, I think three or four more surgeries to clear up the surgical infection after he broke it again. And now people are saying things like, oh, well, Rob Gronkowski's had five surgeries since he entered the NFL, and that seems like a really big, scary number. But three of them are clearing up surgical infections. So are you saying that Rob Gronkowski's at heightened risk of getting surgical infections going forward? Like, <laughs> oh, that Rob Gronkowski, he's got, he's got a really bad, you know, immune system. No, that's meaningless. It's possible, but none of us know that. Right. That's not giving us any extra information. That's so... It's silly to me to count that in. You know, he tears his ACL in 2013 when TJ Ward um, hit him right on the knee with his helmet. It's a really nasty hit. And I challenge people to look at that and think, you know, okay, injury prone means he's at a heightened risk for injury. So are we saying that if a different player had suffered that hit, he wouldn't have torn his ACL? Because I don't. I think pretty much any player in the NFL would have shredded his ACL on that hit. It was a nasty hit, helmet directly to the knee, you know? And now that he has this this ACL injury... Um, is he at heightened risk for ACL injuries going forward? Yeah, the research shows that once you've had one ACL injury, you're more likely to have another. But what does more likely mean? Because um, on average, 3% of NFL players will tear their ACL in any given year. So if Rob Gronkowski's at double risk, double sounds like a very scary number, but that just means he has a 6% chance of tearing his ACL this year instead of a 3% chance. It's an increase, but it's not a huge increase. You know, how should we reduce his value as a response to that. Not very much, not nothing, but not much. And this to me is, I mean, this is thoughtful, nuanced injury analysis. You look at the, the sum of the injuries and you say, you know, the back injury, that's something. How much of something is that? You know, the, the, um, the broken arm, that's not really anything. Let's not count that. You know, the ACL injury, okay, maybe he's 3% more likely to tear an ACL again. How much should I value that extra 3% risk? And you go through and, and you add these things up. And I think if somebody did that, there's a lot of value in that. I think that that's quality analysis. But again, that's not what I see. Normally I see people saying, Rob Gronkowski, six surgeries, injury prone, don't draft him. As a response to that, and I think that's a great way of looking at it, but there's, a, there's still a couple guys. You know, Ryan Matthews, you know, he breaks a lot of things, you know, maybe he didn't drink enough milk as a kid, or he's genetically predisposed. Again, we don't know these things, but after a while, you kind of have to be like, I don't quite trust him. Or Arian Foster had a lot of lower body soft tissue injuries. I mean, maybe his body's just not prepared to deal with it as well as Adrian Peterson's or whomever. And then the other ones are, there's some guys that just I just look at and say, that's a dangerous job. I mean, and the people that really come to mind there are the Edelman, Amendola, Welker types that are little people getting hit by big people a lot. You know, that that's a rough job being the slot receiver for the Patriots and basically getting these extended handoffs and then getting drilled by a defensive tackle and a linebacker over and over and over 100 times a year. So there are some guys, I think, not they're injury prone, but you can't ignore it all either. And the last guy I wanted to bring up too is of all the quarterbacks in the league this year, if I had to put a chip down of who's not who's going to get injured this year, I'm putting on Tony Romo. Well, and I, yeah, I'm going to say, um, you know, I, I 
badmouth a lot of the injury-prone analysis, but are there guys who are injury-prone? Absolutely, positively, 100%. And I'll give you a name. Um, Denario Alexander. You know, Alexander, in the final nine games of 2012, had 700 yards and seven touchdowns. He, I don't know if you remember if you had him in the playoffs. If you did, you probably have some championship trophies from that year because he was a monster. He was uh, the best wide receiver in the NFL over the, over the end of the season. Um, and then after the season, after having this monster stretch, what did San Diego do? San Diego tendered him at the lowest possible level. You know, and then when he's basically available for free for any team to sign, did any team look at him and say, hey, this guy was a monster at the end of the year and try to sign him? No, nobody did. He played um, for San Diego under that tender. And that, to me, says, you know, when the NFL is ignoring someone who is that young and that productive, that, to me, says the NFL knows that something's up. And the NFL did know that was something was up. They knew that Denario Alexander is an injury waiting to happen. Yeah, and I mean, if you, look at it, you have to defer to the doctors at some point. I mean, there are yeah. medical rejects. I mean, I've been in that draft room, and the doctor says... Draft them if you want, but he's not going to last. Absolutely. But you're going to see that in the NFL's decision. Right, right, right. We know that. You know? Much, yeah. And that's why Denario Alexander went undrafted out of college, because he had a pretty good college profile. He should have been drafted somewhere, but he wasn't, because the NFL knew. So on the other hand, if you see the NFL giving, you know, uh, Keenan Allen just got his $12 million a year new contract extension. And so the fact that the San Diego Chargers are giving him that much money, to me, says, Eh, the San Diego Chargers aren't really that worried about his injury, nor should they be, because as far as I know, you know, there's no propensity if you lacerate your kidney one year to lacerate it again. Right. Next, so you have weak kidneys. Yeah, Keenan tender kidneys, Allen. That's what they call him. But even like Jordan Reed, I mean, Jordan Reed's been injured a lot, and you know the concussion things are real. Yeah. But the Redskins know more about it than we do, and they just gave yeah. him huge money. Yeah. No, the, and concussions, um, I think to me are the scariest injury. Um. Because yeah, they we we absolutely know that that past concussions um, predict future concussions a lot more than typical injuries are going to predict other injuries. But yeah, at the same time too, who knows better than than the NFL and the NFL? If the NFL is willing to take that risk, that has to say something. That has to that has to carry some sort of weight with us because the NFL has doctors, and you know, I I'm not a doctor. I did not stay in Holiday Inn Express, you know. Gene um, Bramble is amazing. He's, you know, he's the godfather, but you know, he he doesn't examine these players up close. He's examining them through a TV screen. And so he, even he would be the first to admit he doesn't know nearly as much as the NFL does. So Reed is a good guy to talk about Adam because I know you and I were both big fans of his. Uh, oh yeah. You know, as he entered the league even, you know, he I think we both stole him in third rounds of, of rookie drafts over and over. Fourth, uh, fifth rounds, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. But we've seen, you know, we've seen these injuries, these concussions specifically, along with along with a few other injuries for him. So what are you doing with a guy like that? Would you be buying him if there were a discount, or is it enough? Is this injury history enough that um, you're backing away from him? But don't yeah, you think I, that ship already sailed because he had such yeah. a good year last year? Yeah, that ship is gone. Um, if that ship were not gone, I would buy. It was you know, a year I, ago. I tend to be. I tend to embrace risk a lot because, um, you know, I'd rather have a guy who is either the best player in the league or absolutely worthless. Because to me, the best place to finish your dynasty league is first, and then the next best place to finish your dynasty league is dead last. Because then you're getting the number one overall rookie pick. You know, the worst place to be in dynasty is the fifth best team, because you're not winning any championships and you're not getting any good. You know, you're not getting these these top tier rookies. 
So I like these these huge um, boom-bust rewards because to me, like a complete and total bust isn't really a bug so much as it's a feature. So I, yeah, I, w- I would gamble on Reed. The fact that you know he gets big money, obviously his NFL team is, is pretty happy with it. You look at the tight end position right now, and other than Gronkowski um, and Eifert, who has, you know, both of those have injury concerns of their own, um, maybe Travis Kelsey. There's not a whole lot of, of great blue chip tight ends right now, which kind of kind of necessitates a more um, risk accepting strategy if you really want to get that top tier production. Um, so yeah, a guy like Jordan Reed, concussions worry me, but they wouldn't scare me away from him. Based on everything, all the other factors, I would definitely still be on the Jordan Reed train. But that's a perfect segue when you're talking about tight ends, and boy, you could use a difference maker. What about Jimmy Graham? I mean, he has to scare you, right? But I guess you get him quite cheap. Well, and Jimmy Graham is one um, where, what was the specific injury? It was a something patellar, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it's the Victor Cruz injury. Yeah, and that's one where... Um, and it's not much of a good history of people coming back. Right. I, I have a lot of faith in modern medicine, and so I'm always going to say his chances are better than history suggests because before Demarius Thomas and Terrell Suggs blew out their Achilles... Um, there was really no history of anybody coming back from an Achilles. And now, you know, we've seen Demarius do it, we saw Suggs do it, we've seen Michael Crabtree do it. Now it's it's more of a routine thing. And so there's always the possibility that, that the next injury is the one that bucks the trend. Um, but given how bleak history of that specific injury is, um, I, I put a lot of, of weight into that and the fact that we haven't really seen anybody do it yet. So um, I'll take a I'll take a flyer on Jimmy Graham if the price is right, but he he's one who you know I was saying that um, young established stars in their prime should be seeing a 25 to 33 percent price drop for Jimmy Graham. That was more that was more than 50 percent. Like to me that was that was a huge and it deserved to be a huge right. price hit because he's not young either. And he, I mean he's, he's not. And so if the day that Jimmy Graham was traded from the Saints to the Seahawks, he was worth a dollar. I'm just hypothetical. Sure. Would you offer 50 cents for him now? No. Or a quarter? Um, yeah, maybe maybe a quarter. Maybe 25 or 30 cents on the dollar. And it's hard, too, because it's not just the injury with Jimmy Graham, because he also was not playing well before the injury. Right. And so then there's the question of, you know, are fit? we going to be getting that $1 Jimmy Graham again? Um, and so that's another discount. And when you start compounding discounts, you know, things get pretty cheap in a hurry. So when we see this bad news from the NFL, you know, whether it's injured players or even if it's players getting in trouble off the field and, and potentially being suspended, I think the first instinct for a lot of dynasty owners is I'm going to go buy low, you know, like, uh, like what, what you're talking about, but you don't have the same same feeling when it comes to suspensions. Talk about your thoughts about suspended players in comparison to injuries. Okay, um, we can all agree that football is an incredibly violent, dangerous game. I mean, we have these these massive human beings with incredible athletic potential just slamming into each other in in exceedingly violent, you know, collisions and. So I think we can all agree that injuries are not, you know, they're, they're, they're not 
an aberration. Like, we should expect injuries to happen. Injuries are going to happen no matter how healthy, you know, no matter your genetics. Adrian Peterson is a genetic freak, and he still tore his ACL because the NFL is just a violent, dangerous sport. Um, and so a lot of the distribution of injuries is going to be random. You know, it's just today was not your day. You got unlucky, and that's, you know, that can happen to anybody at any time, anywhere. Um, suspensions are never random. You know, nobody just randomly fails a drug test. You failed the drug test because you did drugs before a drug test. Like, that's, there's no, so if, if a player is injured, that doesn't necessarily tell me he has a propensity towards injuries. But if a player gets suspended for doing drugs, that absolutely tells me he has a propensity for doing drugs. Especially when you think that the NFL substance abuse policy is not set up to catch substance users. It's not. It's set up to catch people who, who have serious problems and who can't stop using it. Because if you're not in the substance abuse program, they you're basically subject to, to a test during the offseason, and they tell you, you know, it's telegraphed well in advance. And so all you have to do is stop doing drugs until your test and then start again. And that's why we see so many, you know, we hear these reports that, you know, a huge percentage of the players in the NFL are, are smoking pot and a very tiny percentage of the players in the NFL are testing positive for pot because the test is easy to beat and it's designed to be easy to beat because it's, it's supposed to catch the people who have such a big problem with it that they can't stop leading up to the test. And so if we see somebody you're like Marte... You're addicted or you're stupid. Right, right. And so if we see somebody who... And especially to get suspended, it's not like you failed a test. You failed a test. And then knowing that you were in the program, you failed another test. And then knowing you were in the program with a strike, you failed another test. Like, it's it's three or four steps in before you're actually getting suspension, and we're hearing about it in, as the public. You know, there might be, there certainly are a lot more players in the NFL who have failed one drug test, and then they just stopped doing drugs because they knew, you know, okay, now now I'm on I'm in the program. So by the time we see a guy getting suspended, they've got a history not just of doing drugs, but of being unable to stop doing drugs when they know um, what's at stake and when, when they know that they're under heightened scrutiny. And so now we have this pattern of behavior, and that, to me, is going to correlate more with future behavior. And people can change, absolutely. You know, there's a such thing as wake-up calls. I don't believe that your past is your destiny. Um, but I also know... And, you know, addiction's a loaded term. I'm not necessarily saying that somebody like Martavis Bryant has an addiction problem. They might just, you know, it could be a stupid, it could be stupidity, it could be arrogance, it could be whatever. But we know that if, if he does have an addiction problem, the statistics on people who um, have an addiction problem and go to rehab and then go an entire year without a relapse, they're pretty grim. You know, it's, it's like a 50-50 shot. So somebody who tore his ACL last year, maybe I look at that as, okay, he just went from 3% to 6% to tear it again. Whereas somebody who had a four-game suspension for pot last year, I look at that as maybe, okay, he went from like a 0.5% to a 50%. And so to me, again, that's a much higher discount, and it deserves to be a much higher discount because we're looking at, at genuine patterns rather than something that is in all likelihood probably just statistical noise because the NFL is a violent sport. So, Adam, do you look at it differently for PEDs or domestic abuse or DUI? Um, and also, I mean, it sounds like in a nutshell, and this makes perfect sense, or you trust modern medicine and doctors much more than you trust Lawrence Phillips to turn into an angel or Josh Gordon to stop smoking grass, you know, <laughs> and that makes perfect sense. PEDs are an interesting thing, and I haven't really, we haven't, uh, fortunately, we haven't had a lot of positive 
um, PED tests. There's two risks with PEDs, and one is that they're going to test positive again, which obviously carries um, pretty steep consequences. And the other is they're not going to test positive again, but the PEDs are why they were playing so well in the first place. And not so they stopped using them, and now right. they aren't as good. And so there's there's kind of a double risk there, and I think you have to you have to account for for both of those. Um, something like um, domestic violence or, or personal conduct stuff, stuff that would fall under the personal conduct policy. Um, right after Roger Goodell came into the league and he was talking about, you know, I'm the sheriff, I'm going to lay down the law, um, I was really worried about um, people who had who were potential personal conduct risks. And he was, you know, he was really heavy with the suspensions. And then, um, and then Bounty Gate happened, and he really dropped the hammer. Um, and he, you know, the suspensions got appealed, and uh, Tagliabu struck him down, and really, he kind of issued a pretty stinging rebuke of Roger Goodell. And since then, I think if you really look at the suspensions that are coming down, I think Goodell's been a lot more restrained, and he's let a lot of stuff slide that he wouldn't have before. And so I think he's kind of coasting on reputation at this point as the person who's going to you know, like protect the shield, and everybody's worried that he's going to drop the hammer. But I don't worry about the personal conduct stuff as much um, because unless there's video, I don't think he's going to do that much about it. We want to wrap up today by looking at some uh, specific players that have been dealing with some injuries so far this offseason. And Adam, I just want to get your your thoughts, um, not necessarily on the injury, uh, like like we said, you're not not a medical expert, but just on the player's dynasty value. Are you buying these guys, and and maybe what are some potential um, type deals you would offer for these players? So let's start with the big name, Sammy Watkins. He's got the uh, got the foot injury that he did have surgery for, and we've we've heard some conflicting reports, but it, it sounds like his week one is is not certain. Are you buying Sammy Watkins? And if so, what are some potential deals you might offer for him? Yeah, I'm absolutely buying Sammy Watkins. And um, he's one, you know how I said some guys suffer value shocks and some guys don't. And to this point, it doesn't look like Sammy Watkins' price is coming down that much. Um, but I'm a big fan of Sammy Watkins. And the reason why is I think his uh, his 2015 season was a lot better than people give it credit for. Um, because it's kind of obscured by the fact that Buffalo was one of the least um, pass-heavy teams in the entire NFL. And so I actually I wrote something earlier this offseason looking at uh, Sammy Watkins' final nine games of 2015 and comparing them to that legendary final nine games Odell Beckham had in 2014. And the thing is, over the past two seasons, um, the 2014 New York Giants had the third most pass attempts over the final nine games, and the 2015 Buffalo Bills had the second fewest pass attempts over the final nine games. And so it's really night and day, and really what Sammy Watkins managed to do um, on limited opportunities to end the year um, is as impressive to me, um, or it's, it's roughly on par to me with what Odell Beckham did his rookie year at age 22. So I don't think people really appreciate um, just how phenomenal Sammy Watkins was. And so I'm a buyer on him, even though his price doesn't seem to be dropping that much. See, that's the, that's the whole point, though. Like, where I own him, I think 70% of the league mates are like, hey, you want a couple second-round picks for that injury yeah. front Watkins? Or the ones I don't own him, nobody's giving them away for anything less. Yeah, for less than top 12 startup prices, which is, that's what right. he deserves. That's what he wants. That's right. what he's 
What about Tyler Eifert? He suffered this uh, somewhat of a freak injury. I think it was in the in the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl actually, yeah. and it, it just seemed to linger throughout the off season. And he ended up having ankle surgery. Uh, his week one, and and possibly even maybe up to his first month of the 2016 season, is in doubt. What are you doing with Eifert? I love Eifert, and I'm buying him. Uh, we mentioned um, Jordan Reed is one guy who I owned everywhere, and Tyler Eifert is another guy I owned everywhere. I mean, I think if you look across all my dynasty rosters, uh, my tight end position going into last year pretty much everywhere was Gronkowski, Eifert, Reed, pick two. I, I had two of the three everywhere. I, I love him. I think he's um, one of the best talents in the NFL, um, and he's young, and he's emerging, and um, so I'm I'm much higher than consensus on him, partly because I think uh, consensus doesn't really... I think it, it, it hasn't really reckoned with the value of a, a true top-tier tight end like that. So if you're given the choice of, of Reed or Eifert, given both injury histories, if, you have to, if you're ranking those or taking one over the other in, in a startup draft, who are you taking? I think it might really depend on my mood that day, but probably Eifert. And that's, I don't know if, see, the hard part for me is I have to think, like, is this irrational or is this, you know, is this is this a rationed and reasoned response or is this just me being afraid of concussions? Um, and is that fear of concussions warranted? You know, I, I, I'm very leery of concussions, and so that might be, be clouding it, but I think I would probably say Eifert right now. I think they're both phenomenal and tremendous. I just, I worry more about Reed's history than Eifert's. Well, it might be clouding it, but it has to be part of part of Absolutely the equation and, and part of the evaluation sure. of, of Reed. Yep. So I think that's fair. Uh, we've talked about this guy a little bit already. Uh, Brashard Perriman, uh, of course, he missed his entire rookie season, and now there's some, again, conflicting reports on uh, on his most recent injury, uh, with, with a worst-case situation being he's going to be out for another full season. Are you buying him, or does his uh, his status change because he has yet to see the field. Yeah, I'm buying. And, um, I mean, again, it gets to what we were saying earlier. I'm not going to be paying top-tier prices for him because we don't know if he's good. Um, like, in addition to being injured, he's still a bit of a question mark. He's he's essentially a rookie. Um, but, yeah, you know, he was a first-round draft pick for a reason. He's got some talent. Um, and I don't know that anything has really changed or should have changed in his value from last year to this year, he's he's he turned from 21 to 22, but you know both of those numbers are still so obscenely young. It you know it doesn't really matter at that point. Like what's the difference between being 21 and 22? So yeah, I would buy, um, and I would value him, you know, not much discounted from where I valued him last year. So I know you're not a huge college football fan. Would you get? But this you know this 2017 class, I'm sure you've at least uh, are at least aware of, of the hype surrounding that and, and the, the value of those 2017 rookie picks. So would you give a first-round rookie pick in 2017 for Perriman? No, largely because I don't think I'd have to. Okay. Um, there's there's one league where I might, and that's just because, you know, I've been in the championship game four years in a row. I'm pretty confident it's going to be a really late pick. But even then, you know, stuff happens. You know, it Overconfidence, I think, is the downfall of a lot of dynasty owners. They think, oh, I'm, I'm surely going to be a contender. Everybody thinks they're going to be a contender, and some people aren't. And so a lot of people are trading their picks thinking they're going to be late, and then they're surprised when the bill comes due and they just traded away the, the number three pick in the draft. Um, if I had guarantees that it was going to be, you know, 
ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth pick of the draft, yeah, I'd trade that for Perriman. But in a world with no guarantees, no, I probably wouldn't. All right, let's finish up with a couple of sophomore running backs, soon to be sophomores. Both were a little disappointing. Uh, in their rookie season, and, and now both are dealing with some injuries. Uh, Amir Abdullah with the Lions and Melvin Gordon for San Diego. Do you like either of those backs? Are you buying either of those? Or are you even seeing an injury discount with those two guys? Yeah, I'm liking and I'm buying. Um, I see more of an injury discount with Abdullah than I do with, with Gordon. With Gordon, it mostly seems to be an everybody thinks he's not that good at football discount. Um, but I'm still happy to buy because... You know, I've done research on rookie running backs who who just have really brutally poor efficiency numbers their rookie year, and honestly, it doesn't mean anything. You know, Walter Payton had like 3.5 yards per carry as a rookie. Ladanian Tomlinson, Ricky Williams, um, Le'Veon Bell was at like 3.4. Um, really, if you look at, at at rookie running backs who had a huge volume and just atrocious per carry numbers, um, more often than not, that rookie's going to go on to be a star, a multiple pro bowler, because the huge volume tells us a lot more than, than the poor yards per carry. Now, Gordon didn't have huge volume, and so that's more of a concern, the fact that he was platooning and splitting time. But the fact that he, you know, he didn't play that well when he was on the field, obviously I would rather own a player who did play well, but for a rookie running back, I'm not super concerned about that. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Adam. And uh, before we do uh, wrap it up, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, so I write for footballguys.com, and I also keep a blog with links to everything I've written. It's just dynastytheory.blogspot.com. I don't really post on it very much, but I do keep links to um, my past several years' worth of writing, so you can find my back catalog there. All right, and definitely follow Adam on Twitter. Adam, what's your your Twitter handle? At Adam Harstad. That last name is H-A-R-S-T-A-D. It's pretty simple, pretty easy. I'm the crying (laughs) elephant. All right, thanks again for joining us, Adam, and we'll be back next time.